in verse 8. We'll go all the way down to verse 16. Let's read God's Word together. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord." For this, perhaps, is why He was parted from you for a while, that you might have Him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, and I pray as we look at it this morning that You will teach us, that You will speak to us, that we will hear Your heart, and not only hear these words this morning, Lord, but that we would seek to live them out in our lives. Help us with that, Lord. We pray all these things in Your precious name, amen. Paul says in these verses, Paul says, I appeal to you. This is what Paul is doing. Paul is making an appeal. Paul is making an appeal to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus because Philemon and Onesimus have a broken relationship. And so Paul is going to make an appeal in order that that relationship, that that broken relationship would be restored. And this appeal is very meaningful and heartfelt for Paul. You see that in all of the type of emotive language, language that he uses in this passage. He uses the emotive language of appeal in order to convince this person to change his mind and restore this broken relationship. And appeals are very important to us because sometimes we can see a problem but we won't do anything about that problem until someone appeals to us to fix that problem. That's why appeals are so important. Sometimes we can see a problem, but we won't do anything about it until someone appeals to us and says, you need to do something about this. And so recently in life, we have seen many appeals come out recently. One of the most famous appeals was given recently by President Zelensky of of Ukraine. He said this, I don't need a ride, I just need ammunition. Well, who is he saying that to? The U.S. were trying to get him, offered him refuge out of his country, the Ukraine. And they said, we'll fly you out of the Ukraine 
if you want, as soon as the war started. But he said, I don't need a ride. I don't need freedom. I don't need to get out of here. All I need is ammunition to fight this battle. What was he doing? He was making an appeal. And ever since that moment, he has been making an appeal on behalf of his country, appealing emotively to people not just to see the problem of the war, but to do something about it. And so he's been invited on video conferences to many parliaments around the world. And what has he been doing? He has been making an appeal. You see, it is not just enough to see a problem. You need someone often to appeal to you to help you fix that problem. Even for us as Christians, when we turn to Christ, we would not have turned to Christ unless someone made an appeal to us. Unless there was a friend who came alongside us and made an appeal to us. Unless there was a preacher who who came alongside us and made an appeal to us. Where would we be without an appeal? We would not be in a good place. We might see the problem, but we might not respond to the problem unless someone appeals to us. And so this is what Paul is doing. Paul sees a problem where you've got one Christian, Onesimus, who's now a Christian, and another Christian, Philemon, and they have a broken relationship, and that is not right for Christians to be in a broken relationship. So what Paul is doing is he's coming into the middle of that, and he's appealing to these people to restore the relationship. And so this appeal that Paul is giving to Philemon, I believe, is an appeal from God's Word from God to us, that we might hear this appeal, and that in our broken relationships, in our frayed relationships, in our damaged relationships, we might hear the very appeal that He is giving, and we might seek to listen to it and live by it. And so the first thing He makes in this appeal is He makes this appeal based on love. You see, he bases this appeal on certain things. He grounds this appeal on certain things. And the first thing that he grounds his appeal in is he grounds it in love. Hear what he says in verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. Now notice what he says. He says, in effect... I could command you to do what is required. I could command that of you. Why could Paul command that of Philemon? Well, one reason Paul could command in this appeal for Philemon to restore this relationship is because Paul is an apostle. So as an apostle, he, as a leader in the church, he would have authority to command him to restore this relationship. He says, I could command you to do what is required. Why would it be required of Philemon? Because this is what is required of every single Christian. We can't get away from forgiveness. We have to forgive. It is actually not optional for Christians. It is required of us. Forgiveness is required of us. And the reason forgiveness is required of Christians is because Christians have been those who have received forgiveness. Elsewhere, Paul says in Ephesians 4, he says this, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Christian, 
Forgiveness for us is not optional. Do you know why it is not optional? Because Christ has forgiven us. It is so easy to blame others and to see the sin of others. But when we see the great sin of ourselves and the great forgiveness that has been bestowed on us, we have to forgive. And so Paul is saying, I could command this of you because it is required of you. In fact, what Valerie was reading earlier from Luke, it is not only required from Paul, but, but Jesus requires it of Christians. Jesus says this in, in Luke 17 that Valerie read, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, if they wrong you, rebuke him. If someone wrongs you, you have to go and tell them that they've wronged you. If they've wronged you, rebuke them. And if he repents, forgive him. And then he says, and this is really hard, and if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, what must you do? You must forgive him. If he continues to do it over and over again throughout the day, surely there has to be a limit in my forgiveness. Surely I have to say, this person has not learned. This person never learns. This person will never learn. They just keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. And Jesus says, if they do it seven times, in other words, what Jesus is saying, if their, if their sin is, is perfect, the number seven is, is the number of perfection in the Bible, if they are committing like the perfect sin every single day and they still come back to you and repent, Christian, you have no other option but to forgive them. You see, because Philemon's going to get this letter from Paul, and who's going to hand the letter to Philemon? Anesimus, the one with the broken relationship. What, Phile- what, what Paul is saying here is you're required to do it. And you see, Paul, in in one sense, Paul is very careful with his language in this letter. So in some way, when Paul says you know, I am bold enough to command you to do what is required. In other words, what Paul's kind of doing is saying, I could command you, and this is required. But Paul's saying, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to command you and require you to do what you should be doing. I'm not going to do that. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to appeal to you. So Paul is very good and very clever in his use of language. And he appeals, this appeal is grounded in and based on love. Yet for love's sake, though I could command you, yet for love's sake I appeal to you. This appeal is based on love, and we must hear it. You see, because Paul says, Paul says, I give thanks to my God always when I remember you in my prayers. And you know, Paul is in prison in verse 4, and he says, I give thanks. And we asked the question last week, how and why can Paul give thanks when he is in prison? And Paul gives the answer, verse 5, because I hear of your love. And then we hear Paul saying, I have joy and comfort in prison. And you say to yourself, how can Paul have joy and comfort when he is in prison? And verse 7 says, I have derived much joy and comfort from what? From your love. 
The reason I give thanks is because of your love, and the reason I have joy and comfort is because of your love, and now, for love's sake, I appeal to you, get restored. Get restored in this relationship. You love the Lord Jesus Christ, and you love the saints, and you are good at that, Philemon. You are really good at that. Now, I want you to love one more person, the one who has wronged you. I want you to love the unlovable. And you see, Philemon, he is a Christian who lives for the Lord. He is a fellow worker. He is a minister. He is one who uses his home for the Lord. He is one that refreshes people by his love. In fact, if you were to go into his house church and look at Philemon, you would look at him and you would say, that is a guy who loves everybody. And you would probably look at him and say, that is a guy who probably doesn't have any disagreements in his life. And yet it happens, doesn't it? You know, I love uh, the little comments Brendan always gives. I'll only say it because he's not here. But the little comment that Brendan always gives is he says, Shane, it just happens. Shane, this is the world. This stuff, it just, it happens. And it's going to happen. I mean, we love each other in this church. But make no mistake about it, it's not a question of, of if we have disagreements. It is a question of when. That's the story of of the New Testament. That's the story of the letters. I mean, if you read any of Paul's writings, what is Paul constantly doing? He's trying to solve arguments and fights in the local church. So it's not a question of if, it is a question of when. And when it happens, brothers and sisters, what are we to do? What are we to do? Repent of our sin and forgive one another. You know the two hardest sentences to say in the English language? You know what they are? I am sorry, will you forgive me? And the other one is, yes, I will forgive you. Those are the two hardest sentences to say in the English language. And it is our pride. It is our pride. Do you know when we make our children, you know, children say sorry to someone, you know, you say sorry. When you look at that picture, look at the big struggle it is for the child to say sorry. They don't want to, do they? They don't want to apologize, do they? They don't want to look at the person in the eye, do they? They, These two children that are fighting together, they want to ignore each other. They don't want to come beside each other. So then you try and get one child and you say, go and say, will you forgive me? And they're kind of saying no and they don't want to look. And the other person doesn't want to go to them and doesn't want to look. And so finally you get them both together and you get one person to say the hardest words that there are to say in the English language, will you forgive me? And then you get the other child to say, yes, I will. And you know what? As we've grown up, not much has changed. Those are still the two hardest sentences to say, but we've kind of cloaked it in the maturity of adulthood, and we don't engage in the process. Paul is appealing. For love's sake, if you love Christ, and if you love brothers and sisters in Christ, and love Anesimus. He appeals for love's sake. His appeal is based on love. His appeal is secondly also based on relationship. Relationship. 
Look at what he says in verse 9. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. It is evident that Paul has a relationship with Philemon. And so when he's writing to Philemon, he's saying, this is me. It's not just anybody making this appeal. It is me, your friend, who is making this appeal. You see, because Paul is his fellow worker. Paul defines himself as his brother. And in verse 19, we're going to find out next week, Paul was instrumental in Philemon's salvation story. And so Paul is writing and making this appeal saying, listen, it's me. I'm your friend. I'm asking you to to listen to me. I'm making this appeal. It's me, Paul. He's making this appeal based on the relationship, and he's he's making this appeal highlighting his weaknesses in the relationship. He says, it's me, Paul. Who am I? I'm an old man, and I'm a prisoner. Paul, you kind of think, is Paul being sneaky or genuine? He is being genuine. He is an old man. He is a prisoner. But he's also an apostle, but he's choosing not to say in this letter that he's an apostle. He's choosing to highlight in this letter his weaknesses. I'm an old man. Listen to the old man. (laughs) I'm a prisoner. Listen to the prisoner. If you're going to accept the letter of a prisoner, then I want you to accept the forgiveness that this, this slave is asking for you to give. Your slave, yes, Onesimus has wronged you, but based on this relationship, I want you to forgive him. So he's making the appeal based on the relationship that Paul has with Philemon, and he's also making the appeal based on the relationship that, that Paul has with Onesimus. You see, Paul is in the middle of the two of them. He is the guy in the middle. Have you ever been in the middle of a fight? Hard place to be. He's the guy in the middle of the fight. He knows Philemon and he loves him. He knows Onesimus and he loves him. And now what he's doing is he's appealing to Philemon on the basis of his relationship to Philemon and now on the basis of his new relationship with Onesimus. And what is his new relationship with Onesimus? In verse 10, he repeats the language again, I appeal to you for who? My child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. I'm going to appeal to you not only on the basis of my relationship with you, I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of my relationship with him. He is now my child, and I am now his father. Strange language to use, isn't it? But it is language that Paul often uses of his converts. When people have turned to Christ and trusted in Christ, Paul sees himself as the apostle, as almost their spiritual father. And so Paul often says this in his letters. In 1 Corinthians, he says this, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but I admonish you as my beloved children, as my children. Later in 1 Corinthians, he says this, This is why I sent Timothy to you, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, he addresses them as my children. Often when Paul sees and has been involved in someone's spiritual upbringing, their spiritual life, he defines himself as a father and them as a child. 
And so what Paul is saying is, it's me, I'm making this appeal. I'm your friend, I'm making this appeal. And Philemon, I want you to accept and embrace and love my child. My child in the faith. Don't reject him. And later on in verse 12, he uses that kind of language. I am sending him back to you. Who am I sending? My very heart. I'm sending you, my child. I am sending you, my very heart. And Philemon, be careful with him. Philemon, I want you to love him. Philemon, I know he has wronged you, but I want you to do what is required. (laughs) But I'm going to appeal to you to do that. I'm not going to command you to do that. Love him on the basis of this relationship. And I think this appeal and the relationship tells us two things personally for us. If we're going to hear this appeal based on relationship, I think it tells us two things. First, I think we should listen to appeals. If someone makes an appeal for us to restore the relationship, I think we should listen to that. I think we should listen to their careful language, and I think we should respond. Because actually, it takes Paul 16 verses in this letter before he actually tells Philemon what he wants Philemon to do. I want you to welcome Onesimus, he says in verse 17. So he's very careful in making his appeal. Sometimes we don't want to listen to people who are making the appeal. We don't want to hear them. We don't want the relationship restored. But when someone comes to us, and says to us, this needs to be fixed, brothers and sisters, we should listen. Listen to the appeal. And then I think we should listen based on the relationship. You see, if a relationship is broken, what does that mean? Well, before you had a relationship. Before there was probably love in the relationship. Maybe friendship in the relationship. Before it wasn't broken. And so when we hear this appeal and hear the appeal of relationship, I think it would be good for us to remember the good and not the bad. That's what Paul is doing here. Paul is saying, I don't want you to remember, we think Onesimus probably stole something from Philemon. So what Paul is saying, I don't want you to remember the bad. What I want you to know, what I want you to get in your mind is the good. This is my child. He has come to know the Lord. I want you to know the good. Remember the good in the relationship. And I think if we remember the good in the relationship, then we are on the pathway to restoration in the relationship. I think that would help. He makes this appeal based on love. He makes this appeal based on the relationship. And he makes the appeal based on the change in Onesimus. Appeal, the appeal is made based on change. Look at verse 11. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Before, outside of his Christianity, he wasn't very useful. Probably not a good servant. 
ran away, stole from you. He wasn't useful. But now he is. God has changed him. One of the reasons our relationships are broken is because we don't believe the person's going to change. So we don't want to forgive them seven times in a day because we just say they're going to keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. And we don't want to believe that there's ever going to be change. But what Paul is saying in this letter is Onesimus has changed. He's different now. He's my child. I'm his father. He's not useless anymore. He is useful. And when Paul writes to the Colossians, he speaks of Onesimus in Colossians and says, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you? You see, Paul knows that probably rumors have got around in the Colossian church, and so when he's writing to the church at Colossae, and when he's sending Onesimus to the church at Colossae, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 9, he addresses Onesimus. He says, he is our faithful brother, and I want to remind you, church, he is now one of you. He has changed. And so my appeal is on the basis of this guy's life is now different, and you need to receive him back. There is change. Brothers and sisters, there is always room for change. There is always, always hope in the gospel. Always. If you would have looked at Paul's life, right? Paul was on his way in the Damascus Road. Paul was on his way to do what? Kill Christians. He was on his way to kill Christians. And so if you were looking at Paul in his life, you would have said, that guy can never change. He'll never change. He's always going to stay that way until the Lord met him and changed his life. There's always power in the gospel. And I believe that if you are a Christian, you know that. The Lord Jesus changed you, didn't He? And guess what? The Lord Jesus is still changing you, isn't He? Because you haven't made it yet either. And so the sin we see in others, we should also see in ourselves. There's always room for change. And Paul is appealing on the basis of this changed life of Onesimus. Receive him back. Welcome him back. Embrace this restored relationship. So he bases this appeal on change and relationship and love. But lastly, he bases this appeal on God's plan. On God's plan. Look at verse 15. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than that, more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? You see, this is part of God's plan. I want to focus only on verse 15, because I think verse 15 shows us 
that even this broken relationship, God is at work. And it's hard to see in broken relationships that God could be doing anything. All we see in the mess of our broken relationships is the mess of the relationship and the mess of our sin. It is hard to see that God could possibly be doing anything or working anything out in this. But I want you to see the phrase in verse 15 that says, for this perhaps he, this perhaps is why he was parted from you. He was parted from you? That is a strange way to phrase it, because if anyone would have looked at the Onesimus situation, you would say, no one parted Onesimus from Philemon, and Onesimus just ran away. If anyone did the parting, it was him. But this says, for perhaps this is why he was parted from you. You know, like if you, if you, <laughs> if you take a banana... This is weird because I was just eating a banana, so I mean, it's, it's a bad one, but it's what I got this morning, so we'll go with it. If you take a banana and, and you take that ban- that, the skin off the banana, you part the skin from the banana, you don't say the banana parted itself. You were the one who did it. So when you say the, the skin was parted from the banana, if you ever use that phrase, sounds kind of posh, I parted the skin from the banana. If you parted the skin from the banana, you are inferring that someone else did that. And what theologians would call this, he was parted from, theologians would call this a divine passive, which means what? God was at work. And so what Paul is saying in a way is this, what if? What if perhaps God imparting this relationship, what if perhaps He was doing something? What if this was all part of God's plan, that He was parted from you? You see, I believe in every relationship, in everything, God is always, always at work. God is always doing something, especially when His people are involved. God is not ignoring the mess of sin. God did not make an estimate of sin. He was responsible for that. But God is overseeing the whole thing. It's kind of like the Joseph story. When Joseph says at the end of the account, he says to his brothers, you meant it for evil. I know. You hate me. You meant it for evil. But what did he say? God meant it for good. You could say that of Philemon and Onesimus' situation. Philemon meant his action, Onesimus meant his action for evil, but God meant it for good. He said, steal that away, buddy, but when you run away, you're going to meet Paul in prison and you're going to get saved. Then after you get saved, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send you back and this relationship is going to be restored. You see God's handiwork all in this. God's plan is at work. And the second phrase I want you to see in verse 15, and the last phrase I want you to see of this passage, why was he parted? Why perhaps was he parted? That you might have him back forever. What a wonderful phrase. That you might have him back forever. And you say, how could he have him back 
forever. Because there is no relationship in this planet, on this earth, that lasts forever. How are you going to have them back forever? How does that work? Because the only relationships on this earth that last forever are Christian relationships. Christian relationships are not just earthly relationships. They are forever relationships. Guess what, lads? We're stuck together forever. We're stuck together forever. If you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's it forever. And what Paul is saying to Philemon is, you're going to have him forever. (laughs) You're going to have this guy forever. And I want you to have him back forever. And I want you to embrace this relationship forever. All Christian relationship, all Christian friendships are forever friendships. What does that mean for us? It means that we should invest in them. If I'm going to be with you forever, I should get to know you and invest in it. And if I'm angry with you and annoyed with you, I should come to you and tell you so that we can be forgiven and it can be restored and then we can go on our merry way and we can be with each other together forever in eternity. Paul wants Philemon to accept this brother back because he is going to be with him forever. This is all part of God's plan. How amazing it is that God would use the action of possibly a thief to run away and flee away like he wasn't meant to, to meet this guy in prison like he wasn't meant to, to get saved and then to return back. That is only the plan and the purposes of God. And I would say to you, brothers and sisters, in the messy relationships that we have, and we have them, it's not a question of if, it's when, we have them. Always remember and pray, God, what are you doing? What possible work could you be doing in this? And pray that God would restore the broken relationship. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to always see you at work. To always see you at work. Lord, even in the mess of our lives, Lord, when we annoy each other and frustrate each other and anger one another, I pray, Lord, that we would hear hear your appeal this morning. Appeal to be restored. Lord, I pray that we would be those who repent of our sin, ask for forgiveness, say those difficult words, and I pray that we would be those who offer forgiveness and pursue it. Lord, we forgive because we have been forgiven much. Thank you for your forgiveness. Pray these things in your name. Amen.